Welcome to Dare 2, a podcast about people who dare to step outside the box to pursue a meaningful, authentic life. I am John Volturo, an executive coach, speaker, and LGBTQ advocate. Each episode, I connect with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals that have stepped into their power by daring to do something new and purposeful that has made a positive impact in their lives and the lives of others. From overcoming a seemingly insurmountable obstacle to forging a path of their own, Dare To will feature stories meant to inspire and empower you to be your best self at home and work. So today we have with us Guy Shalem, who is in all transparency, a friend of mine. And we got to know each other a few years ago, maybe five years ago now, because he was working on a really groundbreaking film and uh, developed our friendship since then. So I want to welcome Guy Shalem to the show today. Thank you for allowing us to interview you with Dare, Dare Two. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, so so Guy, you know, we we often start off with just getting to know each other, and the audience doesn't know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Um, sure. I um, I was originally I was born and raised in Israel. Um, I moved to uh, first New York and then California when I was 18. Um, I skipped doing the military service so I can uh, follow my dreams, fortune and glory in Hollywood. Um, it didn't quite pan out that quickly. I, uh, <laughs> I had to uh, turn around and go back to Israel. Then I got deported. I have a whole, I have a whole journey through my 20s. It was quite adventurous, and uh, and finally, I uh, I you know I, I got a, my first studio deal in my late twenties. I um, settled, bought a house, you know, um, and as some of my friends say, as soon as you settle down, it's time to like torch it all up. Um, <laughs> but I, and then I and then my thirties, I became a, a world traveler and um, kind of took a took a break from the business a little bit and, and then got back into it later. And, you know, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey to say that. You know, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it, you know, I've known you as, you know, when I think about guy, I think of creative, I think storyteller, I think, you know, someone who brings people together from diverse backgrounds, you know, and I know that you have your film background. You also have been doing these really cool dinners and brunches here in Los Angeles. Yeah. The and yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about that, but tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up as guy and what it was like and kind of like when you discovered maybe you were a little bit different than the other kids in the neighborhood. Sure. Of course. Happy to. Uh, I, uh, I was, you know, I grew up in a, the third biggest city in Israel, Haifa. And there was no single gay bar in Haifa. There was, I grew up at a time where there was no Will and Grace on TV. Uh, there's no Ellen. There's no, there's no anything. There's no, not a lot of gay cultures. If anything, usually a gay character will be uh, a, a serial killer or, a, you know, a, a, so, so I, so I think that that's what made it so interesting uh, for me was that I had to find or define myself without any awareness that there are more like me out there. Mm -hmm. um, even in Tel Aviv, that is now like a huge gate destination. Back then there was only one coffee shop mm -hmm. coincidentally called the Abbey. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I knew I was different. I knew I was attracted to guys at a very young age. And I, I, that comes across as really odd to a lot of people. But I, I seriously remember being attracted to guys in kindergarten. Like I remember having a crush on this one particular guy when I was five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, you know, and I started having my uh, experiences as a gay man when I was 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, not all the way, but it was like, you know, I was making out with boys and I, and I, and it was, uh, and a lot of people back then wanted to experiment. So that was an interesting, uh, and, and I have to say, because he was isolated, because, you know, Haifa was a big city, but it felt like a village. Um, it was forbidden. And because it was forbidden, it was more intoxicating in a certain way. And it was also more uh, available in a certain way. It, it, or the, let's put it this way. The intimacy of it all was more available. But the... Uh, so, so when you did find someone that you liked and you both knew that you liked each other, there was this kind of... Uh, unspoken contract that doesn't happen when uh, after grinder was invented um, <laughs> right right <laughs> so, so i think this that, is this is pre-grinder you're saying <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 I'm, I'm dating myself, right? uh which coincidentally was also invented by an israeli right um <laughs> those israelis tell you just saying mm-hmm. so uh so yeah i had i have very fun memories of growing up um closeted my parents didn't know. I was terrified of my parents finding out because uh, um, I was, uh, you know, they were conservative. So mm-hmm. I was bar mitzvah and you had to go see the rabbi and, you you know, we didn't necessarily go to temple shul, as they say, every mm-hmm. weekend. But it was important, you know, there was awareness that God is the eyes of God's are watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was interesting because when I, when I moved here, I realized, oh, God, there's there's uh, you know uh, other people who, who practice different religions who are equally as terrified of that same eye in the sky and uh i um well, i i you know i kind of defined it a little bit i mean i i had a forbidden i had a forbidden life and i and i also met the guy who would ultimately become you know i can't say the love of my life but at least the most influential person on my teens and early 20s um for the greatest love that i've experienced as a as a, as a young man uh, back in israel and, and 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 interestingly enough he was straight um interesting and we became very close friends um and his his love for me or his his ability to see me for who i was allowed him to and this is where it gets complicated allowed him to want to experiment despite the fact that he knew that secretly he's doing it for me really yeah it was it was a kind of it's a it was a really interesting like he was after the friendship mm-hmm. and the connection but he i always knew that it wasn't as big of a sexual attraction as it was an intellectual one or an emotional. So I got to, at a very young age, question my understanding of sexuality and what makes us uh, who we are. Um, 
I, I was asking these questions at 12 or 13, I swear to God. Like I, 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 we were full on in love, writing love letters to each other and, and, and at age 14. And, uh, and I was aware that he's checking out the girls in the pool and I'm checking out other boys sometimes. And, 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 but, but when there were, when, but when we had to hide from our parents, oh my God, from his parents in particular, but both, both our parents were terrifying. Um, uh, or, or terrifying of, of, you know, they're wonderful parents for me anyway, but, but it was, I, I was afraid that they would find out. I was, I was, I, li- I had that shame of what will happen. But even when, so there was almost like a, our, our personal life or our private life together. And then our make believe life, uh, publicly, but I would still get jealous. And if he spent more time with his, with his friends or friends that I wasn't like, I wasn't cool enough to hang out with because I was like the, the dorky redhead and he was like the cool uh, athlete champion type guy. Uh, so interesting. Yeah. Are you still friends with him? Yeah, we got into, so I made a, it was interesting because I didn't tell, I didn't talk about the story my entire life until very few people like, like literally a handful of close friends knew. Uh, I tend to, I, I weirdly would, would, would start crying when I started talking about him, even 10 years later or 15 years later, until I was at a bar in West Hollywood. This is 2011, 20, yeah, something like that, 2010. And I get an email that starts with our favorite book, a quote from our favorite book um, as, as teenagers. And it says, how have you been little prince? And I remember kind of going, I don't know any Ronnie's. I really did not have any Ronnie's in my life. And uh, Ronnie with a Y, right? And I fainted. As soon as it clicked, I just fell down. And, and I, my friends thought something's wrong with me. Uh, commence that scene where you sit in bed for two days and you write him about everything that happened in the past 15 years since you last, right. last talked. <laughs> and, uh, and then it dawned on me that, God, if I make a little short film about it, it might inspire others to, to see deeper into these kind of relationships and friendships and, and love, um, which was truly very unique. It was very different than anything I've experienced my entire life. And I made a short. I made a short. It was funny because we didn't have the funds to do the short the way I wanted to. So I decided, you know, screw it. I'm going to be innovative. I'm going to do the first short that I knew of uh, that was shot entirely on an iPhone. So that right. was, uh, I think that's the short you were referring to that, earlier. That's how we got to know each other. Yeah, right. So the short went viral, need, needless to say. It was watched by millions. It was really, it's really interesting because it's something that I, I personally thought, God, nobody's going to want to watch a film, 20-minute short on an iPhone. Uh, but I knew that I poured my heart into the sentiment and the, 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 the capturing what Ronnie and I were really about, which is the title of the, of the short. Um, and it was, it was then that he, we started getting in touch. Um, and the first question I asked him was it because of the short, like, was it, um, um, and he said, no, 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 it was my wife's idea. And that we get in touch because she, it was also her idea to name our son Guy. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so apparently the wife was very aware that there was this mis- mythical guy out there, you know, little league guy 
uh, who was uh, who had this tremendous effect on her husband. And for a lot of people who came and sent that, we got a lot of fan mail and a lot of letters and comments. And I think that w- the, the, those who the movie impacted said that they had also a, fr- a friendship like this with a, a guy or a girl that uh, felt like uh, were, were um, uh, some sort of a soulmate. And I always thought that that's a cliche until I experienced that. So as a kid, I was I must have been pretty cynical. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, I, I love that story, and it's it's bringing up some, some interesting things for me. For example, you know, you're going through a time that's usually tumultuous mm-hmm. for kids. Your sexuality is becoming aware to you. You're still a kid. You're in an environment where people are really different than you. You know, if you're a little gay boy growing up in yeah. Haifa yeah. or anywhere in this world, right? So when you think back, did this friend of yours help you through a lot of the turmoil that might have happened just naturally at that you, time? You know what our song, you know, our song like? used to be? This is, uh, is going to cheese me. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I do think that the, the, book, the Little Prince book is quite sophisticated for a children's book. But the song was The Wind, the, the wind Beneath My Wings. Because, oh, right? So he always felt like he, he, and he probably was right. He was the reason that I was able to spread my wings and, and go from being a kid with no friends who was bullied severely, like, like, like terrible. I don't know if you want to go into that, but, but we're talking hospitals and broken bones, like bullied. Oh yeah. So this, this is kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. Feel yeah, free to share I'm, I'm, sharing because I was, I was thinking that I was thinking I sensed that he helped you find safety, right? We often talk about who's that safe person for you. And you, you had somebody very young, but you also had this trauma. Yeah. I felt like, like, um, so it's interesting because I grew up with a really loving parents, very loving, overbearing, like typical Jewish mother. Who's almost like Oedipus complex. Like the mom is in love with her son more than the dad. And the dad is a little threatened by it. And it's very classic kind of dynamic, you know, and the guy, the, and the, 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 the boy becomes a little more, uh, you know, I wasn't even aware of how feminine I looked and that I, I for, for Purim, which is the Jewish Halloween, I, I would dress up as a woman a couple of times. It kind of slipped my mind that I, there were tells, even though today you know, I don't seem to be. Um, but back then, I, was, I, was, I, was, I guess I was trying to communicate that message. So, so home was safe. Other than the fact that you have to lie about your sexuality, but then it's fine. You're still a teenager. You're still like, you know, 12. But you have these urges and you meet this guy that you idolize. Um, you become friends for a long time and you share your heart. And it really does become, it starts uh, emotionally. It doesn't start with, um, uh, it doesn't start, oh yeah, let's, Let's get together. Send me a send, send me a dick pic. Um, <laughs> it, it, it does it does start with long conversations, figuring out what the other person is about and getting to know them. And and in that there's a safety. The safety is not is not the fact that oh I found someone to hold me or hug me or have sex with. It's the it's the fact that I I've met someone who actually genuinely wants to meet, know me. I I met someone that I can cry with you know, be intimate with, be real with. And I think that um, that was the click. It's the moment where you kind of go, whoa, I can be anyone I want to be 
because one person loves me genuinely or authentically. Um, and I, you know, ultimately I think that that's really what the, what we captured in those 20 minutes in the short, it's that there's that authenticity. There's that moment where you kind of go, Oh yeah, I look at that person and I know that he sees me better than sometimes I see myself. I mean, we have broad acceptance, right? Like never before, which is awesome, but there's still so much work to be done in the community, but it's just different types of work. I, I find that, and I don't know if you want to go into the, the philosophical side to me, but I always find that like the, there is uh, something kind of a, 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 an irony to the human uh, dilemma, which is when something becomes available, it is not, it, it loses a piece of its authenticity. And I'll give one quick example that probably most of your listeners will agree with is that the minute social media came to play and we were so connected, I felt like a lot of my friends, including myself, were lonelier than they were before social media. So how does that work? Like we have this uh, at the tip of our fingers, we have the ability to connect with uh, 10,000 people, yet nobody's calling anyone. This is fascinating. Um, so the more something's available, the more, so, you know, there's a, there's a, per perhaps future generations will figure out that we have to go back to uh, small little villages or, or communes. <laughs> so now you're this, this kid, it sounds like you got bullied a lot. Yeah. Tell, tell oh, us yeah. a little bit about what that, what that was like, because um, it sounds like it was partly because of your identity. Yeah, definitely. Also, um, Israelis uh, who are redheads are called gingers, like gingy in Hebrew. So, um, and gingies are, are perfect targets. They, they can't stand the gingers. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they don't like the gingers in Israel. I don't know what it is. So, uh, there's literally books about this. Um, I think there was a there was a TV show of like a bully ginger that I grew up. Uh, so, so I I think the you know I just I, I think I was terrified of the boys, and I think it's a mixture of like being attracted to them and being terrified of them at the same time. There's like a, there was a dichotomy, but I th I do think uh, you know it developed into pretty aggressive. Uh, you know, ganging up on you and, and, and chasing you down. And you, I learned how to run faster than most of my friends because I would, sometimes was able to maneuver my way out of the, the, the two or three particular boys who were, uh, came after me. But, you know, I mean, one, just to give you one picture uh, of, of many experiences, which is like one guy one time, one uh, uh, broke the, this finger, which you can't, you can see the crooked finger. One the finger the so um so the reason it's crooked is because they actually fixed it first time i come back after six weeks in the cast and he literally walks out he goes to his, he turns to his friend he goes hey you want to see how i do it again he walks up to me and goes uh, like it was it just healed like so it's, so it's it's that it's that it was like they <laughs> they were good at what they did what can i say you know there were and 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 um it's interesting looking back. I, I, you know, I mean, obviously I regret not being able to stand up for myself, but it is also defining in a certain way. It's like, mm -hmm. makes you kind of go, well, you know, you're, you're, I was, uh, I remember being a very sensitive kid and apparently feminine, you know? Um, so, 
Um, so I think the fact that also the girls liked me and I was uh, creative, uh, I was known for as, as being a, a good painter. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, was 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 asked by certain principals and teachers to see a, a therapist, and then the, my mom would meet with the therapist or psychologist a couple of weeks later, and the and the therapist would say, "I I, I, don't know, I love your kid. I, I don't think there's any anything any any problem with it. I was I would I would be able to absolutely connect with adults um, better." Uh, but at the time I met Ronnie and started coming into my own, I had no problem making friends. I was 15. I was already making friends in Tel Aviv who were filmmakers and mm -hmm. creatives. And, mm -hmm. uh, I remember going to like a film school, uh, afternoon, kind of like night school and befriending the teacher and literally hanging out with him and his friends where they're smoking pot. And I'm like this 15 year old dork that doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, what do I know? Like, um, you know, um, uh, I, it I sounds like you. It sounds like, not to interrupt you, but it sounds like you develop survival skills without okay. even, maybe even consciously knowing that's what you were doing. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do think, I, I mean, I, I can't just credit that to my sexuality or my experience. I do think that like ultimately, yeah, you bullied, but it's also I chose to, God knows what I, if my behavior didn't trigger certain people or my, the mm -hmm. fact that I was, I just looked different triggered them. So I can't, it's, it's really interesting because I, I, I spent years of my life being, trying to find reasons to why I'm a victim over something. And I, I don't, I don't look at it with that lens anymore. There's uh, you know, I, maybe because I was bullied that um, Ronnie took care of me in a certain way and, and, and helped me feel or protected me in a certain way from the bullies as I did protect him from his family. His family was very dysfunctional. So I, so I think that there's, you can't, you know, it's part of our story and, and there is a survivor skills. Yes. But is it survivor skills or is it just like, it's the person I chose to be, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm currently reading the Woody Allen biography and I, I see so much of myself in his story because I'm kind of going, yeah, and he was straight and didn't deal with sexuality, but he was like different and very philosophical and, and looked at the world differently and wanted to, you know, I was bullied a lot. And I was like, was it because he was a survival or was it because serious? Was it because like, I think it's just part of our, you know, it's part of our complexity as human beings that we choose a certain path. Um, I do know, I do remember, can pinpoint the moment where I fell in love with entertainment and storytelling and escapism, if you may. And that escapism is what brought me here. You know? To the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So, so when, you, when you think about that, though, you fell in love with it and then you felt you needed to move? Yeah, there was a strong urge. Well, there's a couple of things that happened. I started making music videos and then one in particular music video won a bunch of awards and was very much recognized. So I went from being the kid that nobody wanted to be friends with to the kid who is literally, if I had to put a picture in your listener's mind, um, it was the emerging, if there's any Israelis listening, I did the first music video for Barry Sakharov, which is the equivalent of a, of a Bob Dylan. Of Israel. Wow. And I was like 17. I did a bunch of videos. He saw some of my work and he was like, I'm doing an album. Would you like, we don't have a lot of money. Great. I came up with this ambitious idea and, uh, and the guy became a legend. But there were pictures of me as a dork and, <laughs> and like this legendary musician. And then 
and then I'm, and then you can't help not feel like you're on top of the world. Like I can take on Hollywood's next, right? Right. And uh, and that's where the separation, the tough separation between Ronnie and I happened. It was like that feeling, like that he knew I'm moving on and he's going to stay in Israel and go to the army. And yeah, so I moved here, and uh, it, it, I think a lot of it was because of the the power that I got from the relationship and 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 from that tiny bit of prodigy success that I got to experience, even though I have to say it was quite corrupting. I, I wish it didn't happen. <laughs> like, like the ego that, that, that it, it led to was quite unhealthy. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, so kind of sort of happening a little bit early. Yeah. A little too early when it's 17, you're being told that you're the best director for music videos or whatever award they gave me at the time. I'm like, it's not good for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you, so you came to college here? Is that how you got here? I came to college. I uh, survived for a couple of years. I remember actually it was because of Woody Allen. I remember him saying something about uh, his uh, this distrust in college professors. And I um, and I started working as an editor. And then that led to uh, my first studio job. Then I um, got deported. That little story, which is fun. Um, uh-huh. um, and then I... A year later, I made my way back to six months to a year. I made, made my way back to uh, LA. Um, started taking my uh, my bleep together, you know. Uh, and then um, I worked at Fox in development for a few years. Got introduced to the inner workings of um, you know network television, which was interesting. Right. Um, then um, moved around a little bit, directed a few pilots. I got my first series on the air when I was, I think, 30 or 31. Um, it was, a, ironically, a show, a pilot idea that I pitched outside of the studio system. I invested my own money in, um, in, a, sh- in a pilot presentation for something that I really felt passionate about that the studio didn't want to do. And and he got around town that this this guy did something on spec. And it was during a time when not a lot of people did presentation pilots. Now it's like everywhere. And and and, uh, and I think Kathy Griffin was. I remember Kathy Griffin and Wendy McClendon Covey was unknown at the time. A lot of people were like before the D list, right? And Eric McCormick saw it and called me in, and we and became my producing partner, and wow. took it to a whole different level. And I was the first, and then. And then I remember like going, oh my God, am I in heaven? I'm like pitching a show with Eric McCormick. Before I know it, we're on the air and we cast Jane Lynch in the lead role. Um, wow. So, so what year is this? This is 2005. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it became a little bit of a, it's, we survived for a season. It was a bit of a cult. We had a bit of a cult following on, for this uh, gem of a show. It's called Love Spring International. You can still get, um, a lot of known actors, um, you know, because of Eric, we got Sean Hayes to guest starred and, and tons mm-hmm. of celebrities. Like I remember it. One of my, one, you remember that show? Uh, I do actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah there you I go. So the dating service, right? The weird yeah, right. yeah. And, uh, my favorite thing was that every day we had a list from the casting director and I'm in head, right? I'm like, can't believe this is happening for guest stars who've seen some episodes and want to get did I just read that Alanis Morissette wants to be on my show? And, and then I share an office with Alanis Morissette and we ship the shit 
smoke pot together and talk about ideas. And it's, it was really <laughs> surreal and wonderful. Unfortunately, as funny as the fans or the, the people thought he was, the network didn't find it to be very funny. We, we were quite dark and slightly ahead of our time. And um, uh, it, we did not get picked up for a second season. Um, then I uh, moved on to developing... Uh, both independently and being a freelancer. And I, um, you know, in the course of my career, I got to work with a lot of incredible, um, uh, funny, funny people. Um, I did a show with um, uh, Betty White uh, on NBC. I, I did oh, I'm sorry, who, who's Betty White? That, that, that old <laughs> chick. <laughs> uh, ageless. <laughs> she, that was phenomenal. Um, and, and great and uh, you know what a workhorse that woman is and how talented uh, and uh, you know got to I mean literally from from Lance Bass to Paris I did a pilot with Lance Bass and Paris Hilton um, that was quite entertaining uh, I mean it was, uh, it was a lot of fun so so it, it is and I, I do think that a lot of my experiences as a, as a kid do make my way into my my work somehow so um, yeah. you know for sure so you know one of the things that- uh, I interviewed somebody about a month ago who came from the music industry. My background in New York was in the music industry. And he was telling me how incredibly homophobic it was. And he moved out here to Los Angeles and I think went into acting, maybe stand-up comedy, felt it was still a little homophobic and that being gay, openly gay, kind of held him back. So th- when you got here, were you living your life as an out person? Yeah. And yeah. How, how, how was that for you to navigate through all the businesses and all these opportunities you're talking about? I mean, they're very creative, right? So we think, I think most people would think that everything is great and super and it's liberal and it's helpful. But, but was that the case for you? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I do not find the business to be, I mean, there, I have issues with the business that have to do with, uh, you know, uh, its own form of bullying and favoritism and, and, and control and, and, you know, but, but I, but, but I don't think that I didn't find it to be even I, at some point I had one of the biggest agents in, uh, in Los Angeles, you know, and, uh, and, and, and I think that he, and I was going, go, oh my God, what a, what a macho type of dude. Right. And then I found mm-hmm. out he was raised by two moms or two dads. And so, and so cool. I think like, it, 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 there's no, I don't, you know, I think at some point if you dig, if you throw a rock, you'll, you'll hit a gay couple or gay men or somebody's connect well, one degree of separation in this business mm-hmm. or in liberal South, 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 uh, California, Southern California. But I do think, um, you know, I think there's other issues. I, th- I do think that like, for example, we can talk about, homophobia inside the community that's an interesting subject matter where you know and i i, I that is where i can't I, I i'm close friends with a lot of extremely successful um gay men and uh and women who as soon as they reach a certain level of success are hit with so much internal both internal hatred and external hatred like there is almost like the the weird pressure to become a certain thing, um, you know. I I mean, look at what take. I don't know Ellen generous very well, you know. But but I take her for example. Just from the outskirts, it's a really interesting 
to watch how I think during this pandemic, more people came after her and said, she's an asshole. She's difficult to work with and whatever. You know, it's probably true, but it's probably, I'm sure if you dig deep enough, you'll find a PA that I insulted at some point or some gaffer that, you know, I didn't, I was a bad day or having a bad day and decided I'm not, you know. So I, I, I do think that what's interesting is that we are looking for, like, here she is coming out with this beautiful stand-up and then she does this TV show and as soon as she comes out, boom, everybody gangs up on her and destruction. And then she has this talk show and then like, okay, let's find ways to bring her down. And so there's, is it is it homophobia that comes from uh, from uh, straight people or gay? I don't know. I, I think I find it to be really interesting. Generally, um, America has a very love hate relationship with success. The people they deify, put on a pedestal, also right. the people they like to tear down. And um, I am, I find that very intriguing. Like like I find that part of of what fame means to people. Uh, to be very, you know, I, I got to know Paris Hilton really well, and I, and it's a whole different person, as you could imagine, than the person that she presents. And but, you know, there's there's the desire to look at her, somebody who's, um, I think I think leading up to really what we're all suffering from, which is obviously the the issues that the the the, the world has with Trump and how he was creating a reality show like the Kardashians. And so I think all of that really goes into one thematic idea that is very interesting to study, especially during this time of pandemics where we're like, are we loving him? Are we hitting him? Who are we tearing down? Who are we pull? Like the, the idea of victimization is fascinating to me. Who's a victim now and who's against who and who's like, there's a little bit of, you know, there's so much of that uh, uh, out there. And uh, I don't know. I think that, the the time for the time being where we're all kind of locked inside it, it's an opportunity for us to to look inwards and see why are we interested in giving so much attention to which side are you on who are you voting for how is it defining you are you into are you again are you with the women or with the men are they hurt that they did they hurt them or they hurt them more who hurt it's 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 exhausting um and and i think because I'm from the Middle East and the whole uh, essence of the Middle East is us against them, right? I mean, what is, what is the Middle East? I was distilted in me, the, the, the lens or the ability to see clearly that like, wait, no, I don't want to go to the army. I don't, I don't want to fight the Arabs. I don't, I don't need the drama. I don't need to hate them in order to know who I am. Like, I don't, or I don't need to be, I don't need, they're not straight or gay. Like I, I have a lot of friends who are straight or gay or lesbian or older or younger. Like I, I don't discriminate about anyone with anything, any, you know, ageism level. Of, like I literally have friends who are so rich and so poor, who are so old and so young. So, um, uh, you know, different colors, different attitudes to life, uh, uh, different level of, uh, spirituality and I you know I think that's what makes it so interesting that's what makes those dinners that you were talking about earlier so interesting is that I, I like to collect individuals that present a different point of view you know part of what I'm hearing is that and I'm curious about this too I'm hearing that there's just been a fluidity in your life that's one mm -hmm. thing I'm hearing that you came from a place that might have been less diverse pretty conservative originally 
but you have this worldview that is very inclusive. Correct. And a lot of the way you're describing your experiences is I've learned this lesson, then I applied it someplace else, and I keep applying the things I've learned in different ways. And it's really opened up your world. You talked yeah. early on about becoming friends with older people, mm-hmm. different people than you, right? They might have been straight, they might have been gay, they might have been male or female, yeah, yeah. successful, less successful. Yeah. So when you get to Hollywood, it seems like you're kind of ready made for Hollywood in many ways, because yeah. you've had a lot of experiences and learned these lessons. When you think back to that period of time and you think about who you were as you entered this space, like what, what is the big takeaway or a big maybe lesson you learned from the previous guy to the guy who emerged here in the U.S. that you could share with people and say, you know, if I did one thing right during that period of time, or the one thing I think about that really propelled me, it was this. Um, interesting. You know, it's funny because there's this uh, talk about how you can look at your past or your future positively or negatively. And unfortunately, I can do both. Depends on the day. So, uh, so you're asking me to look at the, at the past positively, even though there's a lot of negative things that I feel like I regret doing or certain things, but like, you know, you can't, obviously you can't. Well, if there's a final one you want to share, please do. Please, (laughs) please do. I think I was, you know, there was definitely in my twenties, there were, you know, I felt like I was at the top of the world after that music video. And like, I was, you know, I realized, I realized I was good looking, which I didn't as a teenager. I didn't think I was. So I was like, oh my God, I have looks, what what a power, right? Uh, So I think I was like, um, as that's, you remember that scene in History of the World where she goes, yes, no, 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 yes. I do. That that defines my dating life in my early 20s. Um, and there's a lot of like being a player and being, you know, I think you almost, you know, there's a, what is that movie? You take revenge in a way for how you were treated, which I think is where, mm-hmm. where that us against them comes from. And that like yeah. we resent or we act out against those that we think owe us something or are not us or different than us or right. that, that, that part of the human essence is so fascinating to study. Like I, to be honest, I became my twenties. I was the opposite of what I was when I didn't have any friends. I was probably more of the bully and more of the, you know, um, and then you learn and then you lose that. And you know, so that's part of the journey. Almost. How can you n- learn to not be that if you are not that for, for like you have to go through the check the stations right um so so i think that a i you know I, my favorite oscar wilde quote um it goes as follow there is no lesson worth learning that can be taught mm, i like so, that so which means to me is that you have to visit you know you can't learn anything in school you have to visit the stations. You have to learn on your own. You gotta, you gotta make the mistakes, and you gotta grow. You have to um, live yeah. So I think that uh, my advice is, especially in these crazy times, is don't enjoy. Find a way to enjoy every single weird and odd and unfortunate thing that happens to you, because that's where your that's where your story lies. Uh, it's always the project that you least think people are going to pay attention to is the one that people are going to love the most. It's the, 
It's the, it's the one thing that, uh, you know, when you, when you think something is important, uh, to you, it's probably not going to be important to other people. You know, there's, there's so many, like, like in a way it's a very Buddhist uh, mindset where you meditate on the idea that, you know, everything that happens to you is for a reason. I know it's a cliche, but there's truth there where you, when, when you're once uh, bullied, that means that at some point in your life, you might be bullying someone else. If, if, you know, and, and there's, and there's causality, cause of an effect to everything. So, so, so don't, don't panic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Take, like I have to say, even my deportation story, which I know we don't have time to go into was one of the best things that happened to me because I hated Israel. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Other than Ronnie and my parents, I didn't have anything to stay for. And then when I got deported, I got to see a whole different Israel that I, that made me love Israel more than the United States. But if I didn't find myself in handcuffs on the plane, so depressed and so stressed and so like, what the hell is happening in my life? I'm literally being deported. I wouldn't have discovered Israel in the way that I should have. So anything that happened to you that is bad, good, but especially the bad uh, is there f- to teach you something. And, I, and I'm sure you've heard that advice from hundreds of people. So it's not, uh, you know. <laughs> it is a, a melding of so many different worlds that it seems like you've come from. And I'd love to hear that journey. Sure. Um, so the dinners actually started, um, God, 12 years ago. We would, um, we, I, I've learned how to cook for my mom at a really young age. So I love to cook for people. I love everything about cooking and shopping for ingredients. I, I don't like anything else. I don't like the cleaning and the organization, all the things that uh, other people, in this case, my boyfriend takes care of. Uh, you know, the design, I just love the cooking part. I believe it's like, it's like creating a show. Or create, it's like the ingredients, how we put things together. It's, it's, it's passion. It's pure passion. It's also tangible. You know if what you made is good or not. People are going to like it or not. You don't have to wait for them to read it, uh, a week later, you know, <laughs> so, right, right, right. so, um, so that part was always in me. And then when we, uh, started having these private dinner events, at different homes, like we would do some at Jane's house and like my friend, Jillson Walter, and like, I would do those dinners everywhere. And, and, uh, it grew, it grew naturally grew from like, we're from six people to eight people. Then we got to like 10 or 15. Eventually this happened a couple of years ago. We got, we were like hosting a dinner for 20 people. And that's when John uh, Murray, who is one of my mentors and a wonderful um, guy, uh, he said, you know, you're not working right now. Why you, why do you have to pay for these all the time? Like just ask for donations, do it like as a supper club. And that's really how meeting of the masters happened. I was looking for a cool title. Um, you know, I was looking for an interesting theme where it's like, there's no such thing as like masters and slaves and a good dinner. It's like you who come up with meeting of the masters, the idea is that it's really meeting, meeting of the equals meeting. Like there's no, cause I'm, if I'm the master that created it, then why am I doing there? Like cooking for everyone. Right. Uh, and I love being in the kitchen. For me, it's like I sat a couple of times at the table. It's so much more fun to have traffic coming from where the table is to where the kitchen, to, for the kitchen is. Um, so yeah, meeting at the masters.club. If you want to see some imagery of what we've been doing, um, we got covered in the Hollywood Reporter. It's been, it's been an interesting journey where now we have groups up to like 40 or 50 people, uh, uh, 
you know, donate, register on the site. They come to our events. We kind of, I work with different curators to uh, figure out the right kind of group every time. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. You know, we all get to do what we, what we want. And speaking of, uh, authenticity, it's really some of the most authentic experiences I've had in LA where you bring a cool group of people from all walks of life. And you have like literally somebody who's a high school teacher sitting next to a mechanic who's really bright and brilliant and sitting next to a studio and, or an ex studio head. And it's like, the conversation is so surreal because you'll never find these people sitting together no more. And, uh, and the attempt to connect with another human being in that block of time over good food and, and, and in intimate atmosphere is, a uh, is what this is really about. We're, we, we all have a, we all have a genius and a master inside of all of us. And, uh, if you, if you create the right in, in environment for people to open up, then, you know, magic happens. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, I've been to a few of them and feel the same way. I've sat next to people from all walks of life, had the most interesting conversations at the end of the night. You don't really want to leave. And, you know, you think about them. And I think, you know, from our conversation, it's interesting that you're doing this. It's a different way of bringing together a group of people. You're making a film, you're writing a script, you're doing all the, the work to bring together something that will produce this beautiful piece of content. And that same behavior is being applied to the dinners. Mm -hmm. you know, you're putting all of those skills you have. And I, one of the things I love to share with people is, especially during this, this crazy time, like you're calling it, is our lives are changing dramatically. You might not have a job anymore, but those skills you use in one place, you can do someplace else. Of course. And that was a really, really great example of it for people who are listening. And I think that's also a good lesson that people have to hear is that you know, one of your through lines is that you've applied things you've learned all along the way to do different things, mm -hmm. whether it's TV, film, something on the iPhone. You were basically Quibi before Quibi was born. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah. you know, so it's a really valuable lesson. And these stories that I have on Dare To, that my goal is really to bring out that type of opportunity for people. So yeah. thank you. You know, as, as, as we wrap up, one of the questions I do normally ask is, you know, if you were to look back and give, you know, young guy a couple of pieces of advice or to let him know what life was going to be like, what do you think you would say? You know, it's interesting because they live in a different time than when I grew up. So, so it's, uh, but I, I, my advice today would be to, um, you know, look at the things in you uh, I'm going to regurgitate uh, Carrie Fisher's uh, famous quote, take your heartbreaks and turn them into art. So I say my version of that will be take all the things that you are ashamed of. Uh, but you and you, what you grew up around, your, you know, the things that were instilled in you, that is your story. And turn it into something that people can benefit from, whether it's a, it's a like you said, a meal or artwork but but the, your 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 story what makes you interesting and unique in the world are all these um chain of events both good and bad that happen to you 
uh, you know, as you as you as you flourished on this country, on this on this uh, planet. Um, so yeah, that's my advice. Take take the shame and turn it into art. <laughs> you know? Take the shame and turn it into art. I love that. Yeah. Take all the things you're ashamed of and turn it into art. That's yeah. awesome, uh, guy. Thank you for joining us today. It was lovely to be here. Thank you, John. I uh, yeah, my pleasure. 